Good evening and welcome to episode four of Gutsy Media Podcast. My guest tonight is a special one. It's one of my oldest childhood friends, Will Kelly. He picked 2014's dark comedy Birdman, officially titled Birdman and the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. If you guys like this show, then go support other local podcasts and spread the love. I personally recommend my friends over at Critical Mass, Dan and Rockness Monster himself, Rocco, are two of the funniest guys to listen to. And I have recently had the pleasure of fighting monsters in a Star Wars dungeon with Rocco over at Don't Forget a Towel's latest podcast, Star Warriors Tabletop RPG. But enough about that now, on with the show. in this piece i'm saying i'm i'm excited i'm excited so i'm i'm really excited to do this episode because this is going to be the first movie that i've watched for the podcast that i enjoyed (laughs) this movie is it's pretty dope this movie is pretty dope so you selected um birdman or or the official title is birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. I don't I don't really know what that means. So I thought it was a so the first time I watched it, didn't see that. This and that was when it first came out. Um this past time I'm I'm looking at it, I'm going, what is what? Is that new? Is that like a is that like a Chinese thing? I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> so yeah, and I I don't totally understand it i guess i just totally don't understand it so maybe there's not much to talk about but uh strange how that's in there is or and it wasn't yeah it wasn't birdman the unexpected uh, ignorance of virtue it's or or as or. if as if you could swap them out they're interchangeable titles that's right interchangeable. Yeah, Bir- birdman the uh, or the unexpected virtue of ignorance uh, interesting. I mean, I, I don't know what it means. Because um, to be honest with you, I, I I love this movie. This movie is such a well choreographed dance routine yeah. that uh, I think it's oftentimes taken for granted. The other thing that I wanted to talk about real quick was how difficult it was to find the movie. Um, so Amazon only sells... Normally, you look up a movie on Amazon and you can get 17 different people selling the Blu-ray 17 different companies selling you know, the DVD or the 4K or the HD or, or whatever. It's just pages upon pages of different co- types of copies of this right. movie. But Amazon only has one Blu-ray for sale or one company selling the Blu-ray at least. Yeah. So I ended up renting it on uh, Amazon Prime, $4, best four, best $4 I ever spent in my life. I, was also- at, I, I hadn't. I hadn't used my um, jailbroken fire stick in probably like six months, seven months. I used it and worked just fine. Watched the whole movie, no problem. Nice. Crystal clear copy, huh? Crystal clear. But yeah, like you said, strange for a movie that won uh, like motion picture of the year. uh, Yeah, it it did. It won. So it's funny you bring that up. Um, I have in my notes here is the first movie in 34 years to receive a best picture nomination without getting best editing nomination. Do you know why it didn't get best editing nomination? 
because there was so little editing. There was so little editing. Yeah. There is a total, and this is this is unprecedented. There is a total of sixteen cuts in the movie. Sixteen. Yeah. The yeah. trailer for the movie had thirty cuts. Yeah, crazy. It's crazy, and that's crazy. one of the things I absolutely love about this movie is how it was shot, and the reason why I love it so much, and we'll get in more detail later. Obviously, is have you ever been to a play? I have. It is shot like a play. Yeah, right. And, and I mean, the movie's about a play. So I actually wrote in my notes, shot like a play with one long scene. It's a movie about a movie actor doing a play shot like a play. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's like stages of acting going on. Um, it's like an onion. There's it's like, like an onion. onion. There's layers. <laughs> There's layers to that movie, man. Layers, and I loved every bit of it, except for and we we can we can get deeper into this, but there were some parts where it just like went awry, and I was like, "My oh, man, you know, what'd you do here?" See, I I didn't I don't see that. I there the first time I watched this movie, I felt it was kind of confusing. Uh, I don't think I fully understood it because there are some scenes that they it jumps forward in time and it doesn't really tell you it's doing that. You got to kind of pick up on the subtleties. Um, right. for, for example, in the beginning. Um, so, so the, the movie starts off and, and we're introduced to Michael Keaton's character, who is a former actor. He played um, a comic book character, or at least a superhero character named Birdman. Yeah. And he is trying to put together this play. Um, and in, and within the first five minutes, the, the, secondary character in the play uh the other the other main star ends up getting hit in the head with a falling stage light um takes a pretty good gash and is unable to perform so they replace him with edward norton's character um and the the reason why i bring that up is because the scene where he goes to meet ed norton's character uh mike um he he's talking to his daughter who's played by emma stone and telling her, you know, set it up or not. I'm sorry. No, it wasn't Emma Stone that was, he was talking to. It was Naomi Watts' character, Le- Leslie. Right. He's saying, set up the meeting. You know, I want to talk to him. And then the, the camera basically follows him down to the meeting. So it's it's presumed upon second watch that that's jumping forward in time a little bit. Um, but they don't do that. They do it in one long cut, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, he, he's there with a, with his uh, trench coat and top hat. As if, as it, right. As if the meeting um, was happening then, but it kind of skipped an hour or three hours or two right. days. And, and he immediately, he immediately is, he knows the lines of the play. Um, he doesn't even really want to talk about, you know, whether or not he wants the job or not. He immediately wants to go into, let's, let's rehearse a couple lines or, or let, let's go over the play a little bit. And he starts critiquing him on um, how it was written and, you know, what, what should be changed. And he's got this moment where he's telling him, you know, one of the lines is kind of like a fuck you. You got to deliver it like a fuck you. And and it, it instantly changes the dynamic of the scene and, and makes it a little bit better in my opinion. Well, I, he, right. He, he riles um, Michael Keaton up a little bit. Yeah. By telling him, you know, I don't need to know the lines. I know the lines. He, uh, Apparently he had been rehearsing with his with his girlfriend, who was the other co-star of the. Leslie, of the yeah, yeah. Um, so he did know the lines, but he, yeah, he 
he stepped in as you don't know how to act. I know how to act. I'm going to teach you. Uh, I think that riled my getting up a little bit. And then the scene got, got really good. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the, the movie itself, the plot is not, it's every, every character in this movie. And I don't even, I even feel bad referring to it as a movie because it's so shot like a play and, and done like a play that it, to me, it seems more like a play, like a stage performance, but every character in this movie has a dynamic progression has a a sympathetic backstory, has an arc. I mean, the character development in this is just so thick and rich on almost every character. It's unbelievable. I mean, we have, yeah. um, we got Michael Keaton's character, obviously, former actor, somewhat washed up. Uh, he says that the last time he played Birdman was in 1992, which coincidentally enough is also the last time that Michael Keaton played Batman and uh, Batman Returns. Yep. Um, so he's trying to put on this play and, and there's like an over looming story about him wanting to be remembered and wanting to have a legacy, uh, which is kind of ironic in my opinion, because he does have a legacy. I mean, throughout the movie, he stopped several times by fans who want to get an autograph or a picture because he was Birdman. Right. Yep. No, and, I agree. Uh, I think he, um, yeah, in the movie, he said, you know, this is how, this is my redemption. This is how I'm going to come back to life. This is, how, this is what I want to be remembered for, not for Birdman. Uh, however, his his um, his devil on the shoulder, his his conscience, there go Birdman, uh, is always telling him, this is crap. Come back to Hollywood. Come, come back to me. Come back to Hollywood. Come back to the, to the silver screen. Um, this is where you belong. Um, so there's, he's kind of doing, he's always kind of fighting. I, I think of him as like a demon. He's fighting his demon, his past demon um, throughout the movie. See, it's it's funny that you, that you saw it like that. See, I didn't see it as a consciousness uh, or a conscience. I saw it more as he was going crazy. Uh, he, I mean, he was hearing voices. He, yeah. he thinks he can fly. Um, which is another thing. Like, I remember watching it for the first time and thinking, like, I wonder, like, is am I supposed to believe that some of those scenes could possibly be true that he really was flying? But upon second watch, there are very subtle things that point to him going crazy. Like, for example, he's got that scene where he essentially, you know, he's on the rooftop and he's looks like he's gonna get ready to jump. Yeah. Um, and he, he does. He flies through the sky back to the theater, but. When he when he lands and goes to walk in the theater, you hear a cab driver yell, "You know, he didn't he didn't pay me, or he's got to he's got to pay me my money for the for the cab ride." Yeah, you see him you see him shutting the cab door and the cab driver chasing him in, and the same with um, the same with when he's destroying his dressing room, you know, he's right. doing he's doing it with the snap of a finger or you know a twist of a finger, but then when someone walks in, it shows him actually picking up those uh, items and, and tossing them around, so. Right. Very much, very much in his mind. He, you know, and and back to the beginning scene where the the original co-star gets hit in the head with a stage light. You know, he says, "I made this happen. I did that. I yeah, thought he, it happened." He tells uh, Zach Galifianakis's character, who he, his name is Jake. He plays like his his manager or producer or agent. He, I think he, he's a lawyer. He says he's he's, a, he's his lawyer at one point. Yeah, he's he's his lawyer. He's the producer of of the play. Uh, yeah, the play. Um, the, and you and you kind of see both sides of that. That he, 
you know, he's he's dealing with the, the lawyer end, the, the legality when the guy gets hit and he wants to sue the play. He's, he's acting as a lawyer, but then also as the producer, um, you know, some of the behind the scene things with the playwright. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting dynamic there. So uh so he he hires uh Mike who's ed, played by Edward Norton, who's uh a well-known actor. Um Zach Galifianakis's character tells him he, you know he's going to put asses in the seats, he'll sell tickets, we got to hire him. And he does. And they have these rehearsals. They're open rehearsals that they can essentially sell discounted tickets to and people can come watch them rehearse and watch them go over the the play a couple times before opening night. And the first one he has with Edward Norton, Edward Norton's character is drunk. Or Edward Norton's character is supposed to be drinking in the play and come yeah. to find out he has been drinking. He tried to, he's more of a method actor. And he winds up getting wasted and like berating, you know, Michael Keaton and the audience. And he has this he has this moment where he storms off set and, and Michael Keaton says to Zach Galvanakis, get rid of him. He's done. I don't want him in my theater. Get him out of here. Thinking yeah. he's ruined the entire thing. Yeah, and Zach tells him we can't. Right, all all the the I forget what he used, but the ticket sales doubled. Um, people were putting money toward the the play, and uh, yeah, he needed he needed Mike Schreiner for sure. So so then they do another um, kind of rehearsal, and in this one. There's a there's a scene where Edward Norton's character and uh, Naomi Watts's character are supposed to have this kind of sex scene where Michael Keaton then barges in as as the wife or as the husband rather and finds him in bed and and you know has the finale to the play and while they're under the covers Edward Norton's like let's let's really do it let's really make this happen and uh, again another example of how he's essentially tr- screwing things up. There's also another scene where he has an interview with like in the newspaper and he basically, you know, calls Michael Keaton a washed up has been. Um, and, and this is all both hindering the relationship between Michael Keaton and Edward Norton, but also increasing ticket sales. I mean, people, this is starting to go viral. More people want to come see the play. It's getting a lot of notoriety. So then um, we have the scene where he gets locked out of the theater. Best scene ever. Why do you say that? When I first saw them, the first time I saw that movie, that scene, I was like, wow. You know, j- just in general, how it's shot and it kind of follows them around, which is actually like a New York City block. Um, I think the St. James Theater takes up a whole block or at least a, a good quarter of the block. But he ends up having to walk around the whole thing in his in whitey tighties with, you know, a, a packed New York strip, Broadway strip um, with people in cell phones and. And he's he doesn't give a care, right? So he's just walking through. I just need to get back into the into the place, and he and he plays it off very well. He goes in. What do I do? What do I do? Well, I'll just walk up, you know. As and I believe I don't think that was a I don't think that was the premiere either. That was another uh, rehearsal. Right. Yep. Um, he walk, but he walks up in that same scene, you know, and, and kind of comes in from the audience. Uh, again, new new vibe, and and it goes viral, especially with all, you know him walking through his tidy whities Yeah, it's just and such I, a. And I think that's right. I think that 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 scene took place right after he witnesses um, Edward Norton and Emma Stone, who is who's his daughter in in the movie, um, 
kind of kind of like a kiss goodbye real quick. So he sees that, gets all pissed off, goes out for a smoke. I, I believe it's that same scene, trying to trying to cool down, and then boom, this happens. You know, his, his coat jacket gets stuck in the stuck in the door, can't get it back open. So so the play that they are doing is called um, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. Now, that is an actual book that this movie is based on. So this movie is based on the book that is the play they're performing in the movie, which is yep. some Inception-type shit. But um, yeah. the guy who wrote that, uh, his name was Raymond uh, Carver, uh, the opening line in the movie that the, the lettering comes up before anything actually happens. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find the exact uh, phrase that's in the opening line. Um, it says they, the, uh, that's the line that's on his actual tombstone. Um, the writer of the book. Yeah, I know which line you're, you're saying. It has to do with, um, has to do with basically leaving a legacy, people remembering you, um, being bigger than than everyone else, uh, some along those lines. If I'm correct. Yeah, exactly. It says, uh, um, and, "And did they? And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. What did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. It's a, uh, it's a very interesting line, but it plays into the whole point of the of the movie, which is the fact that." Michael Keaton's character just wants a legacy. He wants to be remembered and he, he sees this play as a way of doing it. So this is all building to opening night and there's going to be a big, uh, play, uh, greater, um, what would you call her? The one that she's a critic, critic, a a play critic that is going to come opening night. And, and Edward Norton tells Michael Keaton, you know, if she does, if she's going to make or break this, if she writes something positive, that's all you need. Right. She she is the critic on Broadway for Broadway, um, has been for for years and years. Apparently, um, she if she it's kind of like Ratatouille, right? The rat, uh, Disney Ratatouille, um, the food critic. Yeah. Any, any place, you know, there you know, you go to France and Paris and. Um, just just a well-known critic that will make or break your uh, play, good or bad. And this woman is set out to to break, to 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 kill. And she says, "I'm going to kill your play," uh, simply because he's a Hollywood actor. Um, she does not believe in Hollywood. She's all about the theater and, um, you know, true acting in her in her eyes, true acting. Right. Yeah, she has this monologue. They they have this they have this confrontation scene in a bar where he goes over and he's trying to charm her. He he yeah. buys her a drink and is just kind of like, "Hey, you know, I hope hope you enjoy the show or whatever." And she responds with, "I'm going to I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to write the most damning review I could possibly write." And he he's like at odd like how you haven't even seen it yet. How can you come to that conclusion that that's what you're going to do? And she goes into this monologue of, of basically, I'm tired of you Hollywood elites thinking you yeah. can come down here and you just automatically know what it is to be a playwright and and to write, produce, and star in your own show to yeah. feed your ego. And and she just goes up one side of him and down the other. Yeah. And I, I wish she, I wish at this point we can we can cut to the clip and show the clip because it's probably my favorite scene in the movie. 
You don't get to come in here and pretend you can write, direct, and act in your own propaganda piece without coming through me first. So break a leg. <laughs> wow. You know, what has to happen in a person's life for them to become a critic anyway? What are you writing? Another review? Uh, is it any good? Is it? Is it bad? Did you even see this? Let me read it. I will call the police. Oh, call the police. Let's read you. Callum. Callum's a label. Uh, lackluster. That's just the labels. Margin. Margin, are you kidding me? It sounds like you need penicillin to clear that up. That's a label. So these are just labels. You just label everything. That's so fucking lazy. You just. You're a lazy fucker. You're a lazy. Do you know what this is? Do you even know what that is? You don't. You know why? Because. You can't see this thing if you don't know how to label it. You mistake all those little noises in your head for true knowledge. Are you finished? No, I'm not finished. There's nothing in here about technique. There's nothing in here about structure. Nothing in here about intention. It's just a bunch of crappy opinions backed up by even crappier comparisons. You write a couple of paragraphs. And you know what? None of this costs you fucking anything. You risk nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm a fucking actor. This play cost me everything. So I'll tell you what. You take this fucking malicious, cowardly, shittily written review and you shove that right the fuck up your wrinkly, tight ass. You're no actor, you're a celebrity. Let's be clear on that. I'm gonna kill your play. Just like you said, it starts out very subtle. It takes a turn for the worse, and then some great acting in Michael Keaton's part. I think he goes a little Jack Nicholas or Jack Nicholson uh, for a little bit. He's he's been drinking. He's, he's been, been drinking. drinking and he then he just destroys her. Or what you think is, oh, he, he just destroyed her. What can she say back? Uh, and then she comes back. So it's a good volley of of emotions. And um at the time you think, well, these these are these are mortal enemies at this point. Um Yeah, I mean, he he like you said, he goes right back at her and, and basically tells her, like, you don't know what you're talking about. This is everything that I have left. This is this is everything to me. Right. He he critiques her review on what whatever review she was writing at the end of the bar. Um, he takes he rips it off and 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 critiques her review and says, "How do you like it?" Basically. Yeah. Um, awesome scene. Awesome scene. And then and then you know he keeps drinking and he walks out and I and I wanted to mention this because I thought this was was. Um, it, it really struck a chord for me. So he walks out. He's 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 uh, super drunk, and he's kind of stumbling through the streets. At this point, I imagine it's you know two a.m., three a.m., whatever. And you hear you hear someone uh, preaching, like preaching with uh, like the like the revelation was coming in the background. And as he stumbles up to this person, you know it looks like a homeless guy, you know all all drugged out, whatever preaching to the sky and he looks at it and he goes, was that good? Was that good? And it's really just an actor trying to get on Broadway. Um, so 
So what what you're saying was preaching is actually lines from Macbeth. Is that right? It's a it's William Shakespeare, William Shakespeare's Macbeth, um, and it's after Lady Macbeth dies. The, the lines are uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllabus of record time, and all our yesterdays have lightened fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets its hour upon the stage and then is heard no more, which is not the whole quote, but I want to stop right there because I think there is so many moments in this film where there is sprinklings of what is to come. So this is one of them. The, the the quote, you know, struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. A, a classic line from Macbeth. Um, so there's that. There's the scene where they they do this final scene from the play during one of the rehearsals where uh, Michael Keaton comes in and finds them in bed and proceeds to, you know, say, why couldn't you love me? Why didn't it have to be him? I just wanted to be somebody and blah, blah, blah. And winds up his character shoots himself. And then afterwards, Edward Norton comes to him with the, the the pistol that he had and tells him, you know, you can see the rubber piece in the end. It doesn't give me any fear. This is a piece of shit. Replace it. Have some dignity. Yeah. Yeah. Your and prop is, your prop is doesn't work for me. Um if you're pointing at me, I wanna I wanna actually be scared. I wanna I wanna I wanna feel a little bit of fear like I may be shot at. And that'll that'll help me. Um yeah, you want to do this right, do it right. So this is all building to the ultimate climax of the film, which is opening night. And the crowd is packed, and they have this play, and it's leading up to the final scene. And Michael Keaton has this kind of moment with his ex-wife, who's who's uh, in the film briefly, and he tells her, you know, do you remember? Do you remember this night that we had you know, a while back? And and she says, you know, why why would you bring that up? You know, of course I remember it. it I caught you sleeping out with one of my friends at a party or something like that. And he says, yeah. Afterwards, after the fight, I went to the beach, and I attempted to walk into the water and kill myself. But I ended up getting stung by a bunch of jellyfish, and it ultimately turned out horribly. And blah blah blah. blah. Um, but it's it's his kind of way of he's like saying goodbye to her. He's saying goodbye to her. He's saying goodbye to his daughter, and he goes out on stage. You see him. You see him load a real pistol, and he goes out on stage and he goes to the final scene. But instead of pulling out the fake gun and and his character shooting himself with a blood pack, he actually shoots himself. Right. Which which to me should have been the end of the film. Fade to black, it's over. Right. Um, the film does carry on a little while longer. He wakes up in the hospital. He shot his nose off. Um, Zal- Galifianakis' character comes running in and t- proceeds to tell him, oh, my God, opening night was a huge success. Uh, the critic that he had the fight with in the bar wrote an amazing review about it. Um, true art, blah, 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 blah. Everybody leaves the room for a couple seconds. Bloodshed, something the theater had been missing for you know, a hundred years or something. Right. Um, everybody leaves the room for a second. His daughter goes down to get some, some coffee or something. And he walks over to the window and proceeds to, to jump out the window. Um, and 
it's kind of left ambiguous at the end. His daughter comes in the room to look for him. She goes over to the window and instead of looking down at the ground, she like looks up in the sky and has this big smile on her face. And you're kind of left wondering like, did he, did he fly away? Um, or is he dead or, or whatever? But to be honest with you, I, I could have done without that. I, I, I don't, I don't dislike the ending. I, I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it takes anything away from the movie, but I think it should have ended right there on the stage when he pulled out the gun. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take anything away from the movie at all. But it's one of those scenes where I said, you know, things kind of went awry. Um, it's just something that didn't didn't sit well with me. I don't I can't understand why that scene was in the movie. I can't understand how why it ended that way. Um, I can't understand why he took off the um, he took off his face bandages from his nose being shot off. They put a new nose on him. Right. Um, which makes he def- certainly looked uh, a little different than he did uh, through the movie. But I, I, what I did see was so he, so pretty much his whole face is black and blue, just badly bruised. Almost looks like he, almost looks like his Birdman character. Um, you know, I didn't Birdman makeup. I didn't on. pick up on that. Yeah, and and now that you mention it, the, the new nose, you know, kind of the beak, if you will, of the Birdman. Yeah. Yeah, but so so that's that's the only thing I could correlate to what what could possibly have this for what reason was this at the end of the movie? And he sees a flock of birds as he's hanging out the window, he smiles and then yeah, you know, apparently flies away. His daughter looks up, she smiles, oh he's flying, whatever. Um But you don't actually see him fly. You don't, you don't. It's I'm presuming that he is uh I'm assuming that he's flying fly he flew away similar to what he did earlier in the movie um strange strange i, I could do without it i did like the fact that zach galifianakis galifianakis zach galifianakis <laughs> came in said look at we just got the best review in the world um we have we have we have uh theaters around the world saying this needs to be a, this needs to be an international show um we need to go on tour with the show uh you know we're going to be as rich as rich can be um, I, I did like that. I, you kind of get, you kind of got a conclusion there of how did how how did it turn out? There's resolution on on the play and and its success there, but past that, bogus to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's let's talk about let's talk about the movie and the shooting of the movie. So, like we had touched on earlier, it seems like every character in this movie kind of has a a story arc. Um, so we got Michael Keaton, former actor putting on the play wants to be a legacy. Um, wants to cement his legacy. Emma Stone plays Sam, his daughter. Uh, we find out throughout the movie that she's been to rehab. She's out of rehab. She's being his assistant. She's ha- she's got some turmoil with her father for not being there because of his acting career. Um, yeah. Naomi Watts, Leslie, she's the uh, second lead in the play, the female lead. She is, presumably having a relationship with Mike who's played by Edward Norton, but you know, she's gets frustrated with him, talks about how they've been fighting and eventually kicks him out at the end when they have this uh, breakdown with the, uh, his attempt to have sex on stage. Uh, Edward Norton's character, Mike actor, um, presumably on the downward end of his career, um, or at least in a lull because he, he is still well known enough to put, put asses in seats uh, as Zach says, but also he's, he's, he's in 
he's in a no nothing play. You know, the, the play isn't very well known. There's no other well known actors in the play. Um, yeah. So he's taking this as kind of uh, a mercy, I guess. Um, so the, the way I took it, so I, I believe he started in theater, was successful in theater, went on to Hollywood, still doing, you know, still kind of sprinkling theater in in his career, and that's how he knew that, you know, him and the critic had a had some rapport. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm taking he in in the report seemed to be uh, a good report. I'm taking it that he had success in the theater prior to going to a movie because they they did uh, mention I thought he was doing you know the so and so movie. Oh, he quit that. Right, so, right, or he got fired or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and you and back and forth. And you have this kind of subtext where he has ED. He he can't get it up. Yeah. Um. So he's got a scene where he gets hard on stage, and then and then Emma Emma Stone's character says later, like, "How? Yeah, I thought you, you know, I thought you said you couldn't get it up. What's going on?" And he says that you know, on stage I can do anything, which yeah, is I just, can. it's it's so it's kind of comical, but in the same sense, you I got this sense of like pity for him, like he only truly feels, you know, like him himself or like like the master of his domain, if you will, um, on stage when he's acting. Yeah, I, so I, I believe he feels self value only on the stage. So right. when you see when you see him on the stage, he's he's full of it. He's um, he does very well, great great acting throughout the movie, and then um, acting for the play within the movie. Um, but then when then when he you get him off of the stage, and and that that's something I wanted to mention. You know, it, maybe not just off the stage, but when he's around Emma Stone. So he, he's this guy who's full of himself. You know, he's he's good at everything he does. He's kind of an asshole. Then he gets around Emma Stone and, and completely changes the demeanor. He's just now he's like, oh, you know, kind of kind of woe is me, cool Joe, uh, just totally totally switches it up. Um, and I don't know if it's because he's trying to get with her because I think at first he wasn't right. So he wasn't he wasn't trying to to make a move on her until she kind of pushed that pushed it on him. Um, but but you definitely saw that they're out on the rooftop. He's kind of just chill, not too not too uh, arrogant. But you see throughout the rest of the movie from him. See, I that that's an interesting point because I got the sense from his character that you you never know when he's not acting. Like is that is that really him just kind of laying back and being chill, or is he acting again? The acting, right. From the far reaches of the galaxy to an internet location near you, we're Don'tForgetATowel.com, your daily source for geeky pop culture news, reviews, interviews, and so much more. So as you're hitchhiking your way through the universe, don't forget to travel safe, and don't forget a towel. And, and that, that's why I say in the beginning, I feel like there was... There was um... It's like stages of acting going on. So you're acting for the movie. You're acting for the play. Was he acting for Emma or um, wh- whatever the character's name is? Was he acting for her? Right. Um, it's an onion, man. He's an onion. It's an onion. Uh, you got <laughs> you got his his uh, Amy Ryan plays his ex-wife who also kind of has. Um, I don't want to say a story arc or, or some character development here, but she's an intricate part in his growth, uh, Michael Keaton's growth as a character. 
uh, Zach Galifianakis obviously is trying to put on the show and he's trying to be a friend, a producer, a lawyer. Um, and I, Zach Galifianakis to me had a phenomenal performance in this. Normally he's such a goofball or um, I think he kind of plays different versions of himself in this kind of anxiety ridden um, short, short fused type uh, person. And he, he plays that a little bit in this, but I got more sense that he was a genuine person in this, in this role than I have in other roles he's played. Yeah. I read a, I read a blurb that, um, you know, because there were these huge long takes and because uh, it would cut, there's so much value to, to each, each take that if there was anyone messing up, you know, if there was a, if there was a blooper or a screw up having to redo the take, they started keeping tally. Mm-hmm. Um, who made the most mistakes here? And apparently it was Emma Stone who made the most mistakes tonight. And then uh, Zach Galifianakis made a ton as well, but he's so damn good at acting. He was able to play him off so well, they kept it in the movie. So, and, and I caught that a couple of times while I was watching him go, oh, you know, that, that looked like a little mess up there, but he right. quickly, quickly rebounded um, enough to keep, to keep it in, in the movie and not have to redo the, redo the take. But what's amazing to me is all of these, uh, all this character development, in addition to a very well-told story, uh, doesn't seem rushed. I mean, the the runtime of the movie is an hour and 59 minutes, so so two hours, uh, almost to the button, but it doesn't feel rushed. There was no parts in the movie where I felt like it was being dragged on or I was waiting for it to end. I mean, I guess the last five, ten minutes in the hospital... Again, I could have done without that, but it didn't take anything away from the movie. I think those continuous shots kind of kept you in because you weren't sure what was coming up. You know, you weren't sure what the next scene was going to be because it was always a scene. Yeah, or who was around the next corner because again, right. a couple shots they they turn kind of like winding hallways. Uh, they turn a corner and someone would be someone would be standing there. A new conversation would be had. Exactly. Yeah, really good. Something I wanted to mention was the so he's walking down the street and this is the first time they show Birdman his um his conscience or his demon they actually show him he's walking behind him he's in the full getup um, he ends up f- kind of floating or flying above him and they switch right so you, so this whole time you've been watching this movie that is um, very theater esque and then they say no this is what the you know he's the birdman this is what the people want and the whole thing switches to this big hollywood production mm-hmm. there's um there's bombs and there's fire and uh there's guns and there's these huge mechanical um alien figures and right so it's a marvel movie is kind of what they alluded to is this is what hollywood is now this is what people want or a superhero movie not necessarily a marvel movie but a superhero movie this is what mm-hmm. the people um and they kind of drew you into that. This is what Hollywood is. This is what theater is. Um, although in the grand scheme of things, this is Hollywood. This is a movie. I thought it was really good. They also mentioned it in the beginning. Uh, they asked about so-and-so. Oh, they put or Oh, they put, he's a tin man. They put him in a suit too. And I, they were, they were alluding to Robert Downey. becoming yeah. Hired. Yeah. Yep. No. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, so there's there's a lot online about the amount of rehearsals they went through for the movie. They did a ton of rehearsals because of these long shots and not wanting to screw them up. They did a ton of rehearsals. Um, so the entire movie actually only took two months to shoot. 
uh, and they also shot it in sequential order. So the movie actually only took two weeks to edit because obviously there's such little cutscenes and everything, um, right. which is which is unpre- I mean, two months to shoot and two weeks to edit is completely ridiculous. Um, the the budget for the movie, depending on what websites you go to, is anywhere between sixteen point five and eighteen million. Uh, most of the websites are leaning more towards the eighteen million. And to be honest with you, I don't know where that went. I mean, I guess budgets when it comes to paychecks and stuff like that. But if yeah. we if we look at Michael Keaton, this to me is the role that brought Michael Keaton back to being a Hollywood mainstay. Um, so Birdman comes out in 2014. Prior to that, uh, he's in the RoboCop remake, which I think is another attempt to kind of rekindle his career, ends up being a flop. Prior to that, the the next big movie he's in, The Other Guys from 2010, which he was phenomenal in, but minor role. Prior to that, you have to go all the way back to... Jack Frost in 1998, and even then was kind of more of a direct, direct to DVD or, or you know, movie, uh, TV movie type thing. Yeah, he definitely went on a hiatus uh, from from Batman. Yeah, but I mean, but if you look at his filmography, he never once stops acting. I mean, he goes. Uh, 98, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2005, 2007, 2008, 2009. So, I mean, he's still out there acting. He's just not landing big gigs. Now, you look at Birdman in 2014. After that, he goes on. He's in uh, Minions, uh, which, again, not huge. But then he goes to Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017. Then he does... Which he was phenomenal in. Which he was phenomenal in. Now he's in talks to do uh, to re redo his his big role of Birdman or of uh, Bruce Wayne and be and play Batman again, which is I can't tell you how much that excites me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Michael, I see a lot of synergy between um, this movie and what Michael Keaton is trying to accomplish in this movie and his real life. So there there had to have been. There had to have been a conversation with the director um, and the writer or writers at some point saying, this is what I'm going through. I would, I would love to, to, to put it into something, whether whatever it is, a book, whatever. And, and, you know, then you would think so, but he had zero input on the writing or the directing of this movie. He's not credited as a producer. And he said in a lot of interviews after the movie that this character is the least like him of any character he's played. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he, if he's trying to mask something there. <laughs> I just can't, I can't, I can't imagine how it doesn't. It's too, there's too much coincidence there. There's just too much coincidence for, in, in my opinion. I, I agree, but I mean, on the same token, I like Michael Keaton. I think he's a phenomenal actor. I've liked him since, obviously, Batman, Multiplicity, Mr. Mom. He he's a he's a great actor. So I don't I don't think he ever saw himself as washed up. Uh, I mean, obviously, that role of Batman has been haunting him for a little while, or, or I'd like to think at least was a, a positive in his career. And now with comic books coming back, comic book movies becoming more of a mainstay, and with Batman you know, not being accepted very much with, you know, uh, the, the Batfleck and, um, you know, the reboot that DC is trying to do now with Robert Pattinson. 
people have been screaming for Michael Keaton to come back in kind of an old man Bruce Wayne type role um, like Batman Beyond. And the fact that we're finally getting that is just, I really hope DC and Warner Brothers does not screw this up, but I don't have high hopes based on their track record. Yeah, so prior to you mentioning it here, I just heard it earlier today. Someone had mentioned that, oh yeah, I heard he's coming back for for a Batman 4-ish. I said, oh, no kidding. I I hadn't heard that. I couldn't imagine him playing a, a, you know, a bountiful Batman, very much like an old man Logan um, thing is what I'm, is what I'm picturing. Yeah. So the, 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 uh, cartoon from the late nineties, early two thousands, uh, Batman beyond sees, um, a young kid essentially uncovers the bat cave and stumbles across an old man, Bruce Wayne. And, uh, the old man, Bruce Wayne basically takes him under the wing and, and makes him Batman. And he plays more the, um, the Alfred type role where he's in the earpiece and telling him and training him and so on and so forth. And it was a really popular cartoon. It was actually, it was done by the same people who did the Batman, the animated series, which was obviously a huge uh, Batman cartoon. Um, So when they were talking about, you know, rebooting Batman after, after Ben Affleck kind of uh, did his, you know, pissing match on it. um, A lot of the fans were calling, you know, bring Keaton back. He's obviously one of the best, you know, Batman you've ever had and turn him into that old man, Bruce Wayne. He doesn't have to put the suit on again, but he can be Bruce Wayne and he can mentor a younger, a younger Batman. And uh, so they reached out to him. They're still in talks. He hasn't signed anything or agreed to anything yet. Uh, Obviously there's a lot of pressure from the fans that have him do that. And I just read an article this morning saying that Warner brothers kind of already has a backup plan where they're going to try to get Christian Bale to do it. If Michael Keaton says no, um, which, okay, I, I don't mind that. I mean, obviously Keaton would be my number one. Um, but if we could see some sort of, you know, Terry Guinness, uh, old man, Bruce Wayne type, type movie, that, that'd be cool. Um, but obviously Michael Keaton would be, would be like the, the wet dream from every, every Batman fan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I remember watching the original, um, or not the original, but the Batman movies with Michael Keaton as a kid, loving him. Um, loving Jack Nicholson as the Joker, um, or or uh, Devito as Penguin, yeah. Or I, I don't know who uh, Walken played, but he played some bad guy, right? He played yeah, a villain. I, I I don't know if he played an actual like character from the comic books or just kind of a made up character. Made up um, for the movie. He was the mayor or something like that. No, he plays he plays the boss, the uh the guy who ends up um pushing Michelle Pfeiffer out the window. Mm. Mm. Right turns her into uh Christopher Walken Max Shrek. Max Shrek. A wealthy businessman and industrial known as the Santa Claus of Gotham. Yeah, I don't know I don't know if he's in the comic books. The name doesn't sound familiar to me. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So, Anywho, I, I remember uh, what I was getting to. I remember seeing him as Batman. Loved him. Didn't really see him or or even remember that he was an actor or existed until I again saw him in uh, this movie in Birdman, and was just like blown away by his by his talent and by the fact that he was still acting. Um, 
and I, you can tell he was full of crow's feet. I mean, he is he is really wrinkled over time. Um, but as would I, as would I, sitting in the sun in, in you know Southern California, I'm sure as he as he has done. But phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Such a great actor. And you can't really, besides the one scene where he 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 he, he reminded me of uh, Jack Nicholson, very much so. Besides that scene, there's nobody else that that, that I can say. Oh, he's he, you know he kind of acts like this person. Um, his acting style is kind of like this person, or anyone acting like Michael Keaton. Uh, he's kind of he's kind of um, his own his own thing, does his own thing, which is which is great. He's got a very distinct face. He's got very pointed eyebrows when he makes kind of like that angry like talk face. He gets he gets very yeah. into his his monologues. Yeah, I, I, and you see that a lot in the Spider-Man movie too. The, the Homecoming where he plays Vulture. Yep. Uh, he's got he's I mean in a in a in a world of comic book characters and superheroes and Iron Mans and Doctor Stranges, this normal guy, this old guy. Yeah, has this air of uh, fear that he brings to the scene because you just you don't know what he's capable of. He's got this kind of like I will I will hurt you bad and not feel remorse about it in just the words he says. Yeah, yeah. So like I had mentioned, the movie's budget between between sixteen and eighteen million um, ends up making. Over a hundred million dollars, forty-two domestic, sixty uh, international, doesn't have a hugely wide release. It opens to only four theaters, uh, but goes on to uh, uh, the wide release extends to over twelve hundred theaters. Um, any idea what what spot it opens at? Internationally or, or uh, domestically? Domestically. It opens. It opens October seventeenth, two thousand fourteen. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I would say it's in top twenty. Nineteen. So it's it's only in four theaters, but it opens to uh, nineteen. When it goes on to open to fifty theaters on the twenty fourth, it gets bumped up to sixteen, um, and then obviously October twenty or October thirty first, Halloween, um, it extends to even more theaters, uh, two hundred and thirty one. Goes on to 460, 857, and it just slowly, as the momentum builds behind this movie, and more and more people hear about it, more and more praise comes from it. Um, it expands to more and more theaters. It goes as high as uh, eight on the box office charts, um, but no higher than that. But winds up staying in the box office for 63 weeks. Over a year, it stays in the box office, um, which is the top 200, which is amazing. Now let me ask you this: what, What's if you are the so if you're the director, mm-hmm. what is more uh, prestigious to you? Is it is it that box office? Is it the money coming in, or is it the awards that 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 this movie ends up winning? What is it? What does a director care more about? That that's a good question. I mean, I think it it probably depends on the director. Probably depends on the film. Um, I think you the more awards you win the more you can kind of see it as your film being taken in and and honored for the work you put into it. And I think you, you kind of get that recognition. Um, but obviously the more money the film earns, 
the more you can get that blank check from the studio to do what you want next time or to to do another big budget film or to get another go at it. So yeah. I think most directors would probably like the recognition. Um, like any artist, they want fans to say, you did a good job. This is a good piece of art. Um, but ultimately, I think if you like making art, the ability to keep doing it is also important. So I don't know. I think I, I, I could see both sides of that coin. And how about and how about for for the cast? I, my my opinion would be the the award. So they this movie actually won um, best cast and crew, right? They they won a Golden Globe for best cast. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I know they won best picture. They won. They they were nominated for just a ridiculous amount of awards. The movie and different different uh, awards for the movie. Um, it was. It also won. So something I wanted to mention, almost all movies have some type of soundtrack, right? There's there's at least a few different songs or a few different uh, scores that happen in the background. There's right. one guy, there's one guy on a single drum set, a snare drum set that um, kind of keeps pace throughout the movie, especially in, in um, big drama points. That's all it is. It's a, it's a, it's a snare and a cymbal, a snare and a cymbal, all movie. And uh, and I think it won an award for that. So it, it was. It, there's a, actually rules for the Academy as far as being nominated for certain things. Um, so I'm not sure if it won awards for the soundtrack, but I know that as far as an Academy Award, it could not be nominated because it didn't have the um, certain number of instruments in the soundtrack as a whole. And a lot of the songs in the soundtrack were actually just classical songs that they took. There's very little original songs. Gotcha, gotcha. I remember see IMDb, see all the awards, and uh, it, it was nominated. It may not have been Golden Globe or yeah, whatever. So it, it got uh, Academy Award for Best Picture, um, Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, Academy Award for Best Cinematography, uh, Academy Award for Best Director, uh, Critics' Choice Award for Best Actor from Michael Keaton, Golden Globe Award for Best Actor from Michael Keaton. Um, I mean, it does... You're right. The the amount of awards on here are just insane. It's got a ton of awards. Um, a lot of them are best actor, uh, best picture, stuff like that. I don't see any. Oh, satellite award for best best original score. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Golden Eagle award for best foreign language film. That must be from a different country. I'm assuming. In the time where he's walking around drunk or, or he's jet set on something during the movie, there's a scene where he's jet set on something. And he's walking through the hallways. And I think it's when he's actually going out for that final scene. And so throughout the movie, you're hearing this this drum roll and a, and a cymbal. And he walks past the room and there's that drummer drumming away. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a good scene. And again, I think it plays into him going crazy. So, uh, you know, because you have been on the podcast before, although it is going to be a hidden secret episode that may get released one day. Have I been um, on this podcast? I wouldn't know. Uh, i like to ask all my guests the same five questions with regards to every film we watch uh so let's let's have at it question number one what aspects of the storytelling are done right which ones are done wrong and who do you give credit to um so the storytelling just like you said there is um huge character development and character buildup. You get these big backstories or these story arcs. I think that's super important to it. It tells, tells the story. It, it, it helps tell the story. Um, so I think that was huge. 
uh, what what did they do wrong in the movie? It, it, it's tough to find anything they they did wrong in this movie. Um, let me let me add to what the, what they did best in in the in the long sixteen sixteen uh, shot long frames. Uh, very very well done. No other movie. I haven't seen a movie to do it um, similarly. If that's a word, ever. There's a few other movies that have pulled off similar things, but none of them have been on this blockbuster caliber. A lot of them have been foreign films or low budget films. So the this the whole flying around that that really just it was a turnoff for me. Um, they could have gotten the same point across with very little of that or very little. Um, you know, maybe he flies, but it's it's for a minute. There was a scene where he flew around for four or five minutes, um, probably closer to three minutes. But um, I could have done without that. I think I, I think they I don't know what they were going for there, what the director was going for there. Um, there was something I read that in that last scene that we, we talked about could have been could have done without that. That came in a dream that came in the, in the director's dream. He dreamt like this is how I want to end the movie. And he did it. Um, Sometimes you just don't want to have, don't, don't, don't trust your gut. Don't trust your gut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I mean, I, I, I agree. I don't think that final scene takes anything away from the movie. Uh, I'm a big believer that the ending can make or break a movie. Um, and I think in this case, it didn't really do either. Uh, I'm kind of indifferent about it. Um, I just, I like the more uh, open-ended type endings. And I think, you know, I like I like the idea he pulls out the gun, he shoots himself, and maybe you had this moment, or maybe it, it cuts to black right before you hear the bang. Or, you know, you it cuts to black and then you hear the bang. And it's like, you know, what did he do? Did he shoot himself? Did he shoot Edward Norton? Like, who knows? Uh, I think that would have been a better ending. But um, what is the biggest unanswered question for you about the movie? And do you think it was done intentionally? Um. I, I guess we go back to the final scene, the final Emma Stone looks up, smiles, and then cut to credit. That that would be the biggest unanswered thing. Did, he, did she see him flying? What the heck was that about? Um, yeah, that, that for me was the biggest unanswered question. If you're going to put it in, give me resolution. That's all I'm saying. See, a lot of movies do that, and I there there was definitely a time, especially around when Inception came out, where I would agree with you. Um, give me give me the resolution. Tell me what happens. You know, finalize the character. Um, but the more and more movies do that, and the more you get these interviews with directors ten years later, and they're like, you know, it's it's ambiguous. It's supposed to be ambiguous. I, I kind of do like that more. I like the idea that it's up. It's not so much that it's undecided. It's more that it's up to the viewer. You get to decide. Because it isn't spelled out, you can make it whatever you want. And and I do kind of like that more. In my mind, I don't think there was anything supernatural about the movie. I don't think there was any points in the movie where he was controlling things with his mind or was actually flying. So I, right. think, I think that the chance that, okay, she's looking up in the sky... Is she really seeing him fly? No, he can't fly. He's not a superhero. It's not a superhero movie. If he jumped out of the window, he obviously 
you know, jumped and 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 died, or, or at least hit the ground and is you know bleeding out. The real question for me is why is she looking up and smiling? Period. Her father just jumped out of the window and is presumably injured on the ground. Um, why well, why she, does she look up? She looks down. She she sticks out further, yep. looks down, doesn't see anything, looks up, and kind of gives like a oh my gosh look, and then smiles about it. I don't know. I don't know. I I could have done without it. Uh, that that is the biggest unanswered question for me. Um, if that was the original question. <laughs> so uh, personal connection is important. Was there anything that happened in the movie that reminded you of a real life story that happened to you? Mm. Um, I, I can't say nothing that struck a chord, nothing that went, Oh my gosh, that, um, I can relate to that. I think I can relate to. So this movie was so real. And I think that's why I like it so much. It was so real. It was so filled with um, real emotion. And I think that's what they wanted to do because that's what theater is. You go watch a play and you're going to feel that you're in it. Um, similar, similarly, any other movie. But uh, this was so in it. It was so real. There was so, It was raw. Um, I can relate to that. And I think anyway, you, whomever watches this movie will find things that go, wow, I can relate to that. But as far as specific, um, specific lines and that, not really, not really. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there's any one specific thing that I can, I can relate to or that I've been through, but I think the general concept of wanting to be remembered, wanting a legacy, um, and, and the idea that he's trying to do something that is so important to him. I mean, it is literally life and death to him and nobody else around him is really taking it as, as serious as he is, as he is. I, I, I can relate to that or, you know, I can, I can point to that and say, that's kind of a real life story, uh, in general. Um, but yeah, nothing specific. Uh, what is the most important sequence in the movie? <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, you should you should like prep these. I should be prepped with these things. No way, like, man. I need I need you to. I need thinking. I want you to articulate your thoughts. What are you What are you going through? Um, most important sequence in the movie. <sighs> I I personally liked the um so. They go to the bar one night. Edward Norton, uh, during one of the previews, gets all drunk. Um, you know, ru- ruins the ru- ruins the preview. He tells him he wants to see him outside in the front of the theater. You know, at whatever time, goes out. They walk down the street. They're kind of bickering. They go they end up in the bar, and at that point, they're kind of chill. He trying he he kind of tells a story of why he want became an actor. That's when they introduce the um, the critic at the end of the at the other end of the bar. Edward Norton has a short conversation with her, and then um, a few days later, that's when Keaton goes and, and talks to the critic in the bar. And that is my favorite scene in the movie. So the the uh, introduction to her, uh, and it's just funny that uh, you know meet me out front because you got drunk on my uh, you know on set and and ruined the the preview then they end up in a bar drinking together to to resolve yeah. but, um, i think i think that sequence was was kind of cool 
the introduction to the critic and then how it ended up with with the the fallout with Keaton and her. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing actually. I was going to say that that critic scene. I think it 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 not only sets up the ending. I think that there's a, when she says I'm going to write a bad review about you, you know, before I even see the play. I think that sets up something in his head subconsciously that you know, this is really my final shot and if she's going to if she's going to burn me alive, then I'm going to go out swinging. I don't think he does the the gunshot at the end intentionally to try to like get a good review out of her. I think he sees it as, you know, I'm going to go out doing what I love and giving it my all and and I'm just going to I'm going to put the final period in the sentence and and that then let it be done. Um but I I also think he's got this monologue there where he's telling her and us, the audience, this is everything. This is everything. He he goes in, like you said before, he, he rips apart the critique that she's reading, but he does it in a way where he's he reads what she's written down and he's like, It's all labels. All you're doing is labeling this stuff. You're yeah. not you're not absorbing it. You're not reading, you're not understanding what is being put in front of you. You're just trying to label it. And I mean that's so well put. Um, it's 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 easy to look at something and try to label it for a column, and it's another thing to really breathe it in and understand where it's coming from and what its motivation is. Yep, yep. And I think her final review was was more than a label. I think she did just that. She took everything in, um, and and uh, let it all out on on the page in her review for it. Because she because she was so indulged in it, and especially the ending where you know he shoots himself. Right. Now, had had she not had he not done that, would the review have been different? Who knows? Probably. Yeah, I mean that, that's a good point. I mean, she like you said, she does articulate in the review that you know he gave blood to the theater that's been missing blood for over a hundred years. But was that it? I mean, was that final scene what hooked her, or was she actually enjoying the play up until then? I, I guess you'll never know. Never know. Um, if you could recast two roles in the film, what roles would they be? Who would you recast in them, and why? Ooh, that, that's tough because I don't know if I don't know if they carefully selected who they who they picked. Because, um, gosh, I think anyone I, I would never I would definitely not recast Michael Keaton. Definitely um, not. You keep him there. You cement him. You cement him in that role forever. Um, Edward Norton, I think that role could have been played by others who, um, I don't know, somebody with, with some arrogance, because that's really what he put forth in, in this movie. Um, but who, who is that arrogant, uh, who could have done the arrogance as well? Cause, cause up to this movie, I don't see Edward Norton as an arrogant person at all. Uh, in all his other movies, um, it's funny cause he's actually got a reputation in Hollywood for being, um, abrasive and difficult to work with. Is that right? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So again, why? Why I feel that they really selected these people pre- pretty closely. And I, I, I can I redo Emma Stone. Put in freaking Dakota Fanning. I don't care who you put there. Emma Stone. I like her. I didn't like her in this role. I just didn't. We we are on the same page with all of this. I, Emma Stone would be my number one for sure. I don't know who you'd replace her with, but I don't think she's very good in this movie. Um, and honestly, 
I don't really think she's a very good actress, period. I do like her. She seems like a very likable person, but I can't point to a role where I think she does a, a phenomenal job. You know, I think she's no. okay in most of the things that she's in. I think she's an alien, man. Her eyes are like huge. Huge. Um, huge. And, and if I had to pick a second one, it would probably be Edward Norton. I think he does a really good job, um, but I think that you could probably get half a dozen other actors to do just as good of a job. The first person right. that comes to mind, in my opinion, is Robert Downey Jr. Because um, I think he can play arrogant. I mean, he does it very well as Tony Stark, but he could play like an unlikable arrogant as well if he had to. Yeah. No, that, that, that'd that be a perfect um, recast there. I agree. I, I really respected Edward Norton, though, and what he did, but, but um, Robert Downey could have done it just as good. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, man. That's what yeah. I'm here for. Or, so, um, or uh, who's the other arrogant um, Avenger? There's another one. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, so one of my favorite things to play on this, on this podcast, uh, as you well know, is called Guess That Tomato, where I ask my guest to guess the Rotten Tomato score. As you know, Rotten Tomatoes has two scores. They have the critic score and they have the audience score. Uh, so I'm asking you to guess the audience score for Birdman Ooh. or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. I'm going to go with a 93. Okay. So we're going to lock that answer in at 93. I am now going to give you a couple movies that are within two points of this movie's score. So plus okay. or minus two points. Uh, Bad Boys for Life, Frozen 2, and Captain Marvel. Oh. oh. I'm, al- I'm also <laughs> going to up the stakes and give you the critics' score as well. The critics rated this movie a 91. That is 349 different critics. Combined score, 91. Yeah, I'm going wanna... to yeah, change my... Um fan uh, or viewer peon rating to uh to an to an 83 83 so you're I'll say you're closer with the 83 it's got a 77 right now bummer isn't that crazy 77 93,000 people have voted 77 to me that score does not do this movie justice it, no, my, my personal rating, I would I would have to say eighty five to ninety, somewhere in that range. I, I would I would ninety three is what I went with because uh, I thought I was the voice of the people, but um, ninety three <laughs> is how it rated. Yeah, ninety between ninety and ninety three. This movie was great. I just I loved every bit of it. It was so raw, so real. Um, it gave you Hollywood, but it also gave you theater. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so did I. Good suggestion, man. Definitely liked it. Um, and, and the final thing we do on this podcast, it's a firm belief of the owners of Don't Forget a Towel that everybody geeks out on something, whether it be comic books, movies, or you know, woodworking, or football, or whatever. So uh, i got to ask you, uh, my guest, Will Kelly, what are you geeking out on? I am I'm currently geeking out on... Um, shoot. You know, I I always go to Netflix. What am I watching on Netflix? I don't think I'm watching anything um, on Netflix currently. Nothing 
it pops out football football season um patrick mahomes new contract that i'm kind of geeking out on that and what that does to the whole quarterback market and my man my main man Dak Dak prescott what's going to happen there but uh, do, you, do you think we're going to get a football season i do i do i think I, th- I don't think the uh the italians will let us not have a football season what i don't i don't get that the italians yeah you know the guys who run vegas <laughs> the mafia <laughs> you're referring to the mafia los Co sinatra frank frank sinatra frank sinatra yeah, so oh, let me back up. I am geeking out on Whiskey Myers. Whiskey Myers. That's band. right. Yeah, so this is a new band that you found that you new absolutely band. fell in love with. Yeah, shout out to Whiskey Myers. Um, awesome uh, band from Houston, Texas. They'll actually they'll actually be here in Rochester uh, August fifteenth, something like that. And so. do you do you have tickets already, or are you kind of waiting to see what happens? I do not. I do not have tickets. I'm not going to get tickets. My son's birthday party is going to be that day. He's going to have more, right? He's going to have more birthday parties. Right. Just yeah. bring them. I know. That's what I've been geeking out on lately. I'm a music buff. Uh, Whiskey Myers is my new um, It's my new thing. So will you... What I do a lot of times is I'll, I'll get hooked on a band or a song, and I will just... For some reason, I will play them on repeat until I I know every lyric and just can't stand the song anymore. Are you similar to that, or that's exactly it? And I've been doing that for a long time, for a long, <laughs> for a long time. I yeah, that's exactly what I do. I learn every word, every song in in record time. Well, that's great, man. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you recommending the movie. Phenomenal choice. Look forward to having you on the podcast again. Any any shout outs you want to give? Any last minute uh last minute plugs? If you haven't seen Birdman, go see Birdman or or the unfortunate virtue whatever <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, go see Birdman. Awesome movie. Bump that rump the rotten tomato score up. Help it help it climb the ladder. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Will. Absolutely, man. Thank you. And um, you see my forehead? I can. I can see you. In the shadows. What? The nightshade. Very, um, very clear too. That was. Th- this has been an hour-long process with different emails and phone numbers to get yeah. in contact with you. Yeah. I, apparently, I had to like update my Android software, restart my phone to get it to work. But whatever. Well, we got it. Let me hit the light on. Hold on.